Good morning. Uh, thank you, Pastor Abbott and the uh, Cornerstone Reformed Church for having us uh, this morning to join with you guys. It was a special time for us last month when we did the same thing and we just sat with you guys and worshiped with you. And uh, I received good feedback from our church members that they hope that it can be something more regular, maybe once or twice a year. <laughs> Uh, so it's good to fellowship with sister churches and find community, meet new people who share the same journey, and uh, it's a joy for us to also be here. We just finished at Heroes Church a book study on romance, so this is a good break for us uh, to walk alongside you in your own series on the Sermon on the Mount. And... Uh, Pastor Abbott shared with me the passage assigned today, and uh, I'm looking forward to share with you something that um, is very relevant for me, and I'm sure it's something that you also f face every day. Now, before I proceed, let's pause for a quick word of prayer. Father, we thank you for today. It's a gift that you've given us. We can celebrate the Lord's Day together as brothers and sisters in the same faith journey. And uh, thank you for um, the camaraderie we have and the spirit of unity. And we pray that you will illuminate your word for us so that we can learn what you have to teach us, teach our churches, teach our families, teach our uh, souls today. May this time be a sacred time of focus and learning. And may you be the one to open up our spiritual senses to understand what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Matthew chapter 6, towards the end deals with a big word, and that big word is repeated at least three times when Jesus was telling us not to do it, and that word is worry. And let me tell you now, when Jesus says do not worry, even lay leaders or clergy like myself are not exempt from this. So, at the, mo uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm on my second year of my course, taking up my doctorate in ministry. In ministry. And we have a group, group project this past month. So the class was divided into two. And in my class are uh, very notable individuals like uh, the bishop of PCEC, that the, cha the, president, the chairman of PCEC, it's my classmate, another bishop. I have a couple of bishop classmates, as well as other notable leaders. We, we formed the first cohort for the demon offering of Asian Theological Seminary. So it's been fun. It's been fun until you have to work together. <laughs> so I was assigned to be one of the group leaders of the two groups. And so our deadline was this past week, last August 24. And... Uh, so we, we, we had a group project and we all had to pitch in and contribute. We had, 
and we had our individual individual participations and we had to submit i was the one who will go who's going to compile all the work process it in a in a, its final form and submit it august 24 was the deadline and then you can begin to see i have seven seven group mates begin to see you know what goes on into people's minds especially you know pastors spiritual leaders you know, I, I, I get messages starting at August 7th. Is our group work okay? I said, uh, yes, it's okay. I'm still waiting for some people to submit, but it's going good so far. August 12th, I get another message. Hey, here's my work. How about the others? <laughs> August 22nd, 22nd, I get a message. Can I get a copy of the final report? August 23, the day, the day before, Who's going to submit the report, you or us? I'm like, hey, relax. <laughs> I will submit. I, w once it's ready, I will, I'll submit it to the group and I'll submit it to the professor so you can see. And then there's, then, you know, like, I was, I was, I was going back and forth and looking at the messages, and, 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 and even yesterday, I, I received a message, were you able to submit the work? Like, bro, like, look at the group chat, <laughs> like, look at the group chat. But, see, I, I'm working with spiritual leaders, pastors, bishops, but, see, even us, for a simple group work that's constituting maybe 20% of our entire grade, you see, you see, one thing that's going on is worry, Right? So I had to message one of the guys. I said, bro, like, I don't understand what you're worrying about. Number one, you submit to me your work, and I receive it. The other people submit to me. I receive it. I'm the one who's going to compile. Look at the syllabus. There's only going to be one submission. What are you worrying about? Oh, man, I'm just a worry wart. Are oh, you a worry wart? Worry about bigger things. Worry about bigger things because this is not going to affect you. And I'm telling you, and I told him this, I messaged him. Just in case one or two people don't submit to me, I'm prepared to make up for it, right? Like, you have to trust your team. And he's like, oh, wow. That's such, a, such an assurance, such an assurance. Yes, but, you know, you have to trust your team. So finally, August 24th, in the morning, before lunch, I submit our work. I send them the final output. Everyone's happy, except one guy who asked me yesterday if I was able to submit it. <laughs> but you see, worry is a, a real thing, right? Worry, there's just, we worry about so many things. And another bigger word, another big or sometimes bigger word that comes with worry is the word anxiety, Right? Anxiety is a big word. Stress connected with anxiety. And when things don't go our way, we get depressed. It's all connected. And especially when the pandemic happened, all these things started to pop up. Mental health issues. Right? It's, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing now. It's a thing you can use. It's, more, it's becoming more acceptable. Before, it used to be, you know, very scarce. People don't want to talk about it. We have a stigma, you know, people don't want to hear that you have something wrong in your head. But now it's becoming more acceptable. It's becoming more normal. 
But at the end of the day, it's still the same thing. Rooted in these negative energies is worry. And so as Christians, we need to learn how to deal with worry because it's there. And let me tell you the worst thing we can do to deal with worry is to think that we can just will ourselves out of it. Right? Like you could just stop stop worrying. Let me tell you this. Hannah is a doctor, right? She deals with life and death. I worry about things that's not necessarily life and death. So early on, in, early on in our relationship, she keeps telling me, why are you worrying? It's not like someone's going to die. Of course someone's not going to die. Right? Like, we have a different field, but it does feel like someone's going to die, you know? You just don't know. But I get scolded because I'm worrying about people's feelings. I'm worrying about people's thoughts. I'm worried about people's, you know, like, reactions. And I'm here trying to worry. It's, it's, it's weighing on, on me as a pastor what's going on. But then it becomes such a difficult thing and such a heavy thing. And then I, eventually I realize, what's the point, right? Someone can tell you not to stop worrying. Someone can tell you to stop thinking. Someone can tell you you shouldn't overthink it. Some people are, some people are quick to say, you know, just stop. But you know you just can't stop, right? Maybe you'll stop engaging. Maybe you'll stop sharing. Maybe you'll stop opening up to that person who tells you to just quit it. But at the end of the day, it's still going on in your mind, still going on in your heart. You're looking at the clock. It's 3 a.m. in the morning, and you still can't sleep, right? So let me tell you this. As Christians, as a gospel-centered community, it's very important for us to be able to know what worry is and how to handle it. Because if we don't know how to handle it, it's just going to eat us. And Jesus is very good here. Jesus in Matthew 6 teaches us at least three things. We learn about the command not to worry. I'm going to discuss a little bit about that. We're going to learn about the rationale to not worry. And there's going to be a little bit of irony there. And lastly, I'm going to talk about the gospel to overcome worry. Okay, so that's just our outline this morning. Now let's begin with the command to not worry. Jesus goes straight, straight for it. And he says, hey guys, do not worry. Do not worry. Now, let me just point you to this command, okay? Because earlier I told you it's not a simple thing to tell you to stop worrying. But I want you to focus on the command because I want you to see who's saying it, right? When I, when I put the outline here, the command to not worry, I want you to think about who's the commander, right? It's not your friend. It's not your partner. It's not your colleague it's not a stranger you have to see who's the one giving the command here because when you see the source of this command a lot of things will change right when someone says do not worry you have it, it, the effect the effect of that line is going to be heavily dependent 
on who's saying it. Right? And why? What will be the weight? Well, there's at least two factors. Two major factors to who's saying it that will make an influence to whether the words do not worry you will matter. Number one is your trust relationship. How deep is the level of trust you have with the person saying it? Right? How deep is the level of trust? Do you know, that's why being a preacher, like some people think, you know, some of the people I train, some of the people ask me about being a pastor, all they see is the role, the preaching role, me being here speaking to you. It's the same thing as when I wanted to be a doctor. All I really saw was the white coat, right? That's all I saw. I wanted to be that guy with the white coat, maybe removing it, putting it in the back of my car, driving in my Jaguar because I can afford it. Right? That, that, that's all I saw, right? But when I actually went through medical school, I'd, no one thought, no one told me, well, maybe my mom did, but I didn't listen. <laughs> no one told me that it was going to be this hard. Not only are you going to deal with, you know, the medical books, you're going to deal with your class, you're going to deal with your particular administration, you're going to you deal with expectations, with pressures. But when, when all you see is the white coat, it sort of blinds you from that hardship and then you just focus on, on the role, right? So a lot of people think being a pastor is all about this. This one-way speaking, public speaking gig. But it's not. I could be giving you so many beautiful words. But if you and I don't have a trust relationship, the weight of those words may not matter. Right? You're just going to be walking away at the end of this sermon forgetting everything that I said, even if, even if I have a lot of golden nuggets, it will not matter unless we have a, a, a depth of relationship. That's why first five minutes of a sermon, I'm telling you, is key, especially when I'm talking to a new audience, new congregation. Some of you don't know me. First five minutes is key because those five minutes, I have an opportunity to jumpstart a trust relationship with you. If I don't get to build that trust relationship with you, the rest of everything I'm going to say, even if it's right, it won't matter. And if you think about it, the opposite is true. If you and I have a trust relationship, even if what I'm going to say is maybe half right or not right, because of a trust relationship, it will seem more right to you, right? That's why the Philippines is so hard. We live in an Asian country. We have all our family. We love our family. We love our friends. Sometimes we, we get so tolerant about our family that sometimes they do wrong things, but we don't want to call them out because we think, oh, love is part of accepting them. Right? That's why sometimes rather than saying something, we just don't say anything. But you know, the irony of that is when you have a trust relationship that's deep, that's actually when you should say something. Because you know what you say will make an effect. Right? If, if you don't have that trust relationship, then, you, then what you say will have weaker influence. That's why when someone says, do not worry, you have to look at who's saying it because the level of trust to that person who's saying it will have an effect. That's factor number one. Right? Do I, do, how deep is my trust relationship 
with this person telling me not to worry. Right? The second, the second thing, that's why I want to focus on who's the commander, is not only my trust relationship with him. The second thing is understanding his capacity to cover the current concern. So now it's not talking about our relationship. The second factor is, is he able, is he qualified, is he equipped, is, is he an expert of this thing that I'm worried about? So again, before, when I shifted from medicine to master of divinity, people, you know, some people are quick to judge, right? Some people are quick to judge. Some people are, give, are quick to give a side comment. Some people are quick to, to make a value judgment. Some people think, I'm already here in medical school being a doctor. Why am I moving here, right? Being a pastor is so much easier, right? All you need to do is show up on Sundays. This is what many people think. I go, I go meet new friends, and they're like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, so what do you do the rest of the week? Uh, well, let me get like, Nothing? <laughs> let me tell you this. I never thought of it that way. You know why? Because of the second thing. When, I, when I'm... Again, imagining the white coat, right? When I put on the white coat, nothing matters. I always thought if I become a surgeon, my life before and after the surgery will not matter. The person coming to hire me, the person coming to get me would, is just concerned about that moment when I'm in the operating room and performing surgery. My life before and after does not matter. But that person will come and hire me because of my capacity to perform what is necessary at the time he or she needs it. Right? That's the second thing that will make that will be influential when someone tells you, do not worry. How equipped is that person? That's why it's true, right? When you're sick or when you're gonna if you've ever experienced a condition needing surgery, and a doctor comes to tell you you need the surgery, what's gonna go into your does it matter? If you have a trust relationship with this person, at this point, that doesn't matter so much. What matters, you're thinking now, is this person capable? So what you're going to do, you're going to ask for a second opinion, you're going to look at reviews, you're going to look at who's the best doctor in this particular surgery, and only for you to find out that the best doctor for this surgery has five to six months waiting time. So you have to consider... Okay, he's younger. Okay, he's newer. Okay, there's not a lot of reviews. Okay, there's no line. But what goes in your mind is when the doctor says, oh, it's just a normal surgery. It's easy. Do those words influence you enough to just really be at peace with it? What you're beginning to weigh during that time is whether this doctor is capable as he says or she says to perform this particular operation, right? 
So when we talk about the command to not worry, I hope I broke, I broke it down for you. It's very important to understand who's saying this right now. And you're going to ask yourself, and then at the end, I will ask you again, those two things. Number one, how deep is your trust relationship with the person saying, do not worry? And second, how well do you know his capability over these things that you're worried about when he says, do not worry. This is what you need to see. When you look at Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus says, do not worry. Don't take it as just a command to stop worrying. It doesn't work that way. You have to see who's saying it. When you see that it's Jesus saying it, it will make a big difference. And if it hasn't made a big difference, and then you ask yourself those two questions. Do I have, uh, or, or how deep is my trust relationship with Jesus? And second, how confident am I of Jesus that he is capable to save the day? Okay? Okay? Those two things come hand in hand. There, will, there is going to be a lot of overlap. Growing those two things, trust and confidence, it takes time. And that's why it's good to be part of a church. Right? So that's what the first point. The command to not worry, focus on the commander. Second is the rationale to not worry. A lot of people think worrying is a mental thing. I'm going to tell you now, it's not. Right? Pastor, why do you say it's not? Well, look at how Jesus, word, Jesus issues the sermon on, on, on the mount at this particular time. What does he say? Do not worry. Stop thinking. He does he say that. What does he say? Do not worry. Have you considered this? Have you thought about this? What does that mean? It means that when Jesus says, do not worry, and he starts saying, have you considered? Have you thought about this? He's saying, obviously you haven't thought about this. You're not thinking straight. When you're worrying, you're really not thinking straight, right? That's why a lot of people... And you've experienced this before. Your friends, your family members, they come to you with their problems. They come to you with their issues. They come to you with their concerns. And you're listening to them. How many times have you been listening to someone in need? And whether you react or your face shows it, you're listening to them. And deep inside, you're like, uh huh. Yan lang yung pinipro problema mo. Ang simple, simple lang eh. Di ba? You're worrying about this. I already see the solution. How many times? Right? When you're listening to somebody telling you their problems, their issues, their concerns, there's a moment all the time you're thinking, what? Why can't you see it? It's so simple. Right? Some of you might be quicker to react. We have different personalities, different styles. Some of you might be more controlled. 
So you, you absorb more of the story. But it doesn't matter. What I'm telling you is when you start listening to people who are anxious and, and worryful and, and they're sharing to you their worries, I'm sure in your mind you're like, wow, like that, that, here's an easy solution for you. Right? But the point is not, the point yet is not finding the solution. The point is you begin to see that when someone is in a worrying phase, it's not always a thinking, rational phase. Right? They just feel that they're overthinking it, but really the issue is so much in the heart. Right? The issue is that there's something going on in the heart, not necessarily in the mind. Right? That's why, you know, people come to counseling, people come to, you know, psychologists, doctors, they think, they, they pour out all these things. This counselor, the doctor, what they're trying to do? They're trying to unravel. They're trying to untangle the words, trying to make sense out of it. Because obviously, the person who is troubled, their mental faculty is not so crisp as necessary to handle the situation. That's why there's an irony, right? We say, oh, di ako makatulog. I'm worrying. I can't sleep. I'm overthinking. Is it really overthinking? Or is worry something else? When Jesus says, have you considered the lilies of the field? He's saying, you're not thinking, right? You're like, like, there's more things to consider, but your mental faculty cannot get there because there's a block. Right? There's a block. There's something blocking you. And that block is worrying. That block is anxiety. Right? So you have to, we have to be aware of what these blocks mean. It doesn't matter if you're smart. It doesn't matter if you're the smartest person in the room. You won't get there if you have something blocking you from getting to that ideal solution. So what, what is going on here? Right? What, what does Jesus say? He, he becomes a little bit, is he, he becomes seemingly philosophical. That's why sometimes pinipilosopo natin tong passage na to. Jesus says, how many of you could add to your life by worrying. What does that mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, how many of you could add something to your life by worrying? You know what he's saying? He's talking about a fundamental truth to our human condition. Jesus says the issue about worrying, the issue about anxiety, and here's the secret, is you and I are worrying because we love to control things we don't have control of. This is the key to understanding worry. You know why you're worrying? You know what's going on in your mind when you're worrying? You know at the root cause of worry? You want to control something you know 
you cannot control. You're anxious because you want to understand, you want to, to, you want to master something you, that cannot be mastered. And that's why the pandemic was a major acceleration to us understanding this. Suddenly, my two-year, five-year, ten-year plan out the window. Suddenly, my wedding postponed. Suddenly, my relationship, we broke up. Suddenly, my plans to move get delayed. Suddenly, my job is gone. I thought I had everything in control. I had a goal. I had a plan. I had everything. All my ducks in a row. And then, bam, lockdown. Bam, you have to stay at home. Bam, financial issues. And now, maybe, recession. And if you're not ready, and if you're not aware, what is going on inside of you when things start becoming loose and uncontrollable, you will begin to find yourself worrying more, being anxious more, because you and I have a deep will and want and desire to control everything. Pastor, where is this control coming from? That's a very good question. Let me tell you where. When God created man, when God created us, before Genesis 3, before the sin, what were we called, what were we created for? God created man in his image and his likeness. He created them, man and woman. And what did he say? Go forth and multiply. Rule over the world. Fill and subdue. Right? We were called to be rulers of creation. When we were created, we were designed for that. We were designed to rule. We were designed to be in charge. We were designed to take care. We were designed to be scientists. Man was called to name animals. We were created to, you know, cultivate, to, to be in charge. We had that calling. We have that design. You and I have that purpose. And in paradise, that would have been perfect. It was the perfect gift. And now people are saying, oh, Christians talk about predestination and the absence of free will. Obviously, we have, when you start debating that way, we, we already start talking about it wrong. We were created and designed to be in charge of God's creation. But... In Genesis 3, we overstepped that role. We overstepped 
that design. We forgot who the ultimate commander is. We wanted to be the commander-in-chief. So Adam and Eve overstepped. Sin entered the world. Chaos, brokenness, and now all these things entered the world. But deep inside all of us, in our creative design, in our creative design, is that origin story. Deep inside us is that design to be rulers, to be princes, to be princesses. That's why if you're familiar with you know, the line, the witch in the wardrobe, that was the magical transformation, right? Peter and Edmund and the two girls enter the wardrobe. Suddenly, they become kings and queens. That's the original design. But you're back to reality. You have that original design inside of you. We have that original design inside of us. But now things are not the way they're supposed to be. Sin has made a big effect, big destruction effect. And now we're on a collision course for that destruction to fully take effect. And because the sin has entered the world, and that's why it's very important that we're aware of that, the perfect creation of the world and the sin entered that world and now we're living in that world that's broken, you and me have that innate desire to want to rule but obviously we cannot anymore. Right? We're not in paradise anymore. Right? We're not we're not in we're not living immortal lives anymore. We're getting sick. We're getting poor. We're getting the absence of what we need. And so when that innate human created design to rule collides with the reality of a sinful world, what's going on? Worry is going to happen. Anxiety is going to happen. Sleepless nights is going to happen. That creative design you have to control mixed in a broken world that you cannot control and is constantly moving towards more destruction is creating in us a deep, deep sense of worry and anxiety. And that's why this is going to be a real thing. This is a real thing we all face. It doesn't matter if you're a young Christian or an old Christian. It doesn't matter if you're informed, educated, or not educated. It doesn't matter if you're mature or just young or immature. It doesn't matter. We will all face this because there are things, there will always be things we cannot control. This is the rationale to, wor to, to worry. You have to understand where it's coming from. You have to understand where the root of it all is. And that root is part of our created design and part of understanding where the problem is lies in our sin. That's why when you see it this way, you see, when you, when you see it this way, you begin to make sense of the beauty of what the Bible is teaching us. It's giving us a, a clearer picture 
of why am I feeling this way? And I can't stop it. You can't stop it because it's part of your original design. You're meant to rule. Right? You're meant to rule. You have that feeling that you want to fix, you want to control. It's part of your design. Right? But that design has been, we have been corrupted by sin. This is where theology really matters because now you begin to make sense. Well, why can I not control things? Obviously, there's some human answers to that. There's some modern answers to that. But the biblical answer to that is you and I stopped con- lost control, lost control of creation when sin entered the world. Right? And so how do we overcome then worry? How do we overcome this, this feeling? How do we overcome this act? How do we overcome this, this problem? You see, a lot of times when we worry, a lot of things that we're worrying about hasn't even happened yet. Right? It's just maybes. It's just possibilities. It's just, you know, things that we may be, be considering, but they haven't really happened yet. So how do we overcome this sense of dread how do we overcome this sense of anxiety? How do we overcome this sense of, you know, stress? Well, this is where the gospel comes in. So when I enter our venue today, your poster is there, and it talks about your church being a gospel-centered church. Same way with heroes, we're trying to build Christ-centered communities. Who, who, you know, who live by the gospel. Now, that gospel is very important, is very key to overcoming this worry. And this is what Jesus Christ is saying here, right? He's, he's basically, basically told us where the source of it is. And that source is we were created to rule, but we, it was disrupted by sin. But he also says the solution And he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Now, when I was growing up and I was a kid in Sunday school, growing up in church, when they keep telling me this, seek ye first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you. You know what I always thought? Man, I just seek the kingdom, I will get everything I want. Right? That's what it comes to me, right? Like, that's how it comes, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Our minds are saying, wow, it's all going to come to me. That's the sin talking right there. <laughs> I'm telling you now, that's not how it's supposed to be understood. When you're thinking about that, when you're thinking about seeking God's kingdom first so that it all comes to get added to you, who's the center of your universe? Me, right? When the most important word in that verse is you, you're not gonna get you're not gonna solve the problem. The problem that caused this in the first place is we overstepped. We made us larger than we should have been. God created the world, He entrusted it to us to rule. We wanted more. 
right? So if you look at the verse like, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added to you, and you still focus on you, then nothing's changed. In fact, it will even get worse. You know, since Typhoon Ondoy happened 2010, we've been involved in a lot of disaster response ministries. Sometimes the hardest people to help in crisis are Christians. And not only Christians, I'm telling you, the hardest people to help are Christian leaders. You know why? Because there is an assumption baseless but there's an assumption that if I am serving God if I am doing something for God if I am leading God's people if I am serving in God's kingdom all these things will be added to me so when my house gets destroyed when my family gets affected when something bad happens to me there is a disconnect Right? Because how can a good God not protect his servant? Again, what's wrong with that statement? It's going back to how we understand Matthew 6. When we make you, us, the most important word there, we will always get lost. But when we focus on number one, who's saying it? And number two, recognizing the order or hierarchy of the importance of words, you and I will have a better understanding of what it is. So when Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, that if the kingdom of God becomes the most important phrase, more than ourselves, then we have a chance of appreciating the second line. Okay? The gospel to overcome worry is to seek God and his kingdom first. To put God where he's supposed to be. And in this passage, where is God? God was the one giving the command. God is Jesus Christ. God is telling us, and maybe God needs to tell you today, do not worry. Now again, you have to ask yourself those two important questions. How is my trust level of relationship with Jesus? How well do we trust Jesus? A lot of people believe in Jesus, but a lot of us don't trust him. There's a difference. We believe in our minds Jesus Christ died for us. We know in our church, we rehearse it, Jesus Christ died for us. He saves us from our sins, but many of us don't really trust what that means. We still want to save ourselves from our sin. I still want to change my own way. I still want to make amends for the mistakes I did in the past. If change will happen in my life, it will be up to me. To me. To me. And that's why we worry. We worry because on the one hand, you know God made you to, to rule the world. On the other end, you also know we messed that up. So we're never really going to be good enough. We're never really going to succeed. We're never really going to be the person we want to be. 
But the gospel says, God created the world perfect and in, in its wise design. Man sinned, ruined everything. But the gospel is Jesus Christ was sent to intervene and cause a reversal. Cause a reversal. Right? That's why if you're in in finance and, and stocks and if you look at it today and you see that it crashed, what are you looking for? You're looking for signs of reversal, right? You're looking for signs of reversal. When it's going down, you want, you want to see, like, is it going to go up? Is it going up? Is it going to go down? And you're looking at candles. You're looking at candles, right? <laughs> but Jesus Christ, he's not a sign of reversal. There are signs of reversal from the Old Testament, prophecies here and there of when the Messiah is com coming. So even today, some Jews are trying to trace all that. But when Jesus Christ came, he wasn't only the sign of reversal, he was the complete reversal point. He met us at the bottom. He was there. He's the bottom. world was going to hell. We're all going to hell. That was our destiny. But when Jesus Christ came, he put he marked the bottom where it should be. He went to the bottom for us. And when Jesus Christ came to this world and then he, he marked that bottom for us, it allows you and I to start moving up. Right? So the only way we can overcome this worry is to really build that relationship with Jesus. Seeking the kingdom of God is not doing more. Seeking the relation, seeking the kingdom of God means re really building that relationship with the king. Right? And that's why it's very important to have that growing relationship with Christ. So when I ask you, how is your trust level, how deep is your trust level relationship with the commander? You want to ask yourself, how is my relationship with Christ today? Do I trust him? Can I trust him? Am I trusting him with my relationships? Am I trusting him with my money? Am I trusting him with my work? Am I trusting him with my career? Am I trusting him with my spiritual life? The more you grow in the gospel, the more you will answer yes. And that takes care of the first question. Now, the second question is, how confident am I of this person? How confident am I that I can trust Jesus with the things that I'm worrying about? Well, again, we go back to the gospel. What makes you distrust a person? What was your biggest betrayal? What's the biggest betrayal in your life? When can you mark that you've lost trust in somebody else? Let me tell you this. You lose trust with somebody when they disappoint you. When you see them making a choice and that choice is not you, you lose trust in them. When that person is seemingly selfish and always will choose what's good for him without considering you, 
You cannot trust that person, right? You cannot trust. It's going to be stupid to trust that person, right? And that's why a lot of us are tanga when it comes to love, right? You keep trusting somebody who keeps breaking your heart, right? Like, you know, so they say, I love you, but they do the wrong thing. It just, you know, it goes around and around. But when that person is consistent, that person is uh, consistent with their acts of choosing you and their love for you, then you start building trust, right? You start building trust, right? And it's the same with Christ. You cannot trust him. You cannot be confident in him unless you see him making the choices and that choice is you, right? So let me tell you this. How does the gospel overcome our worry? Well, you have to focus on Jesus and what he's done for us. Does he have the track record of choosing you even under pressure? Does he have a, 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 a track record of making choices that benefit you and me even though it's hard? Well, if you look at Jesus' life, that's why we study him because you get to see the consistent, perfect effort. That's why even in the line, the Witch in the Wardrobe, none of those siblings, Peter, Edmund, can save the day. It took the blood of Aslan, right? It took the, the, blood, the, the, the life of the benevolent Aslan to return Narnia into how it's supposed to be. And it's the same with Jesus. We were created to rule. We overstepped and messed it up. But none of us have the capacity to make it right again. Jesus had to come. And let me tell you this. I always imagine this. When God created the world, God created man, it was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were hanging out. And they said, let's create man. Someone says, okay, what are the limits to this man? And God says, oh, we'll create. God the Father says, we'll create them out of our own image and likeness. They will have, the, you know, sub-creating sub policies. We'll give them will to do as, as they please. Holy Spirit, the commission of audit, will always say, but what if they overstep? Well, if they overstep, let's, let's put, on, let's put a, a troubleshooting device, a troubleshooting plan. If they, if they overstep, what's a troubleshooting plan? Well, worse comes to worse. Maybe, oh, first we will send priests, and then we will send prophets, then we will send kings. What if still that's not enough? Oh, it's okay. My son will save the day. He'll come to earth, die for their sins. Jesus, ah, son, are you okay with that? Son says, of course, Father, anything you want. Okay, sign the contract. Sign the contract. God creates all of us. We mess it up. God sends priests. God sends prophets. God sends kings. It was never enough. Finally, Father says to Son, Son, nothing has worked. We have to come up with the final, final troubleshooting mechanism. Send you back to, send you to earth to be like a human being and die for them. Obviously, Jesus said yes, right? But what, 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 what's always, what always struck me with Jesus was if he already made that deal early before the creation of the world, why did it still seem so hard? 
if he was already sure he was going to, he already signed up for it, why did he still experience the pain? If, 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 if Jesus knew this was the only way, why did he still have to cry in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweat? Sweat so much, it, it came out like blood. And you know why? When I, when, when I wonder about that, I look at that story, I come back to the story, the life of Christ, focus on the passion, death, and resurrection, and realize these are the handles that he provides us so that when I am challenged to trust him, he takes me by the hand and says, look, son, look, daughter, you can trust me. Because it Saving you, saving you was not easy. Saving you was hard. Saving you took a lot out of me. Eventually, it took my life. But when I had the chance to make a decision whether I'm going to choose you or choose to save myself, I chose you. I was fully committed to you. I was fully committed to love you until the end. And I eventually even died for you. What stops you and I from worrying is going back to the gospel. It's not just telling yourself, stop worrying. It's going back to who said it and how our love relationship with him is like. Can I trust him? Do I know he's trustworthy? And when you grow in the gospel, the answer to that is yes. And that's the journey of the Christian life. That's the awesome journey we all have. You and I, every day we face trials, we face challenges, we face all these temptations. But you and I, push comes to shove, we're challenged. Am I, can, I trust, can I trust Jesus? Now, if you're not developing a love relationship with him, it's going to be hard to answer that question. If you're not learning more about him, it's going to be hard to answer that question. That's why this is a process. That's why we have a church. That's why we have, you know, Things like this where we can learn more about him. Because the more we learn about him, the more we have capacity, the, the more we build capacity to know that he's holding us because he's done everything for us to trust him. Your worries, my worries, are oftentimes a lot of things that we don't have any control of. That's why we need to trust somebody who can take care of things beyond our control. And the good news is that's where God comes into the picture. Again, to summarize, we, to, under, to, to, to overcome worry, we need to understand who commanded it. And when you see it's Jesus who commanded it, that's already more than, that's already the battle right there. And, and we need to understand where the worry is coming from. And don't, you know, worrying is normal because that's part of our design interacted with the sinful world but we can overcome our worry by going back to the gospel when we look at the gospel it builds it connects us into our relationship with Christ and it gives us the confidence to trust him not because of what we've done but because of what he's done 
So let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, no matter what's going to happen this close of 2022, it's okay. God has everything at the palm of his hands. God, ha is, ha God is in control. You and I were not in control. But we can trust someone who is. And if he made a way to save you and me from sin, and all these worldly temporary issues we're facing does not compare to a life in eternity with him. And if he was already willing to give us the best, which is his son, Jesus Christ, how much more will he freely give us all things? But the perspective is not us. Okay, you and I do not decide what's best, right? You and I do not decide what gets added to us. If you want to trust Christ, we need to trust him. We need to trust him for what he sends us. If he sends us rain, if he sends us sun, if he sends us problems, if he sends us joy, it's all part of the plan. That's why if you look at the journey of the Christians in the Bible, rain or shine, success or failure, it didn't matter. What mattered was they had that relationship with God. They trusted in that relationship and that relationship carried them home. Right? The best thing we could ever want in this world is to come home. I want to come home. You, you, I want you guys to come home. This is not our home here. It's just temporary. What's 50, 70, 100 years compared to eternity? Right? That's why our perspective matters. Our theology matters. Coming to our church matters. Being gospel-centered matters. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the Sermon on the Mount where you equip us, challenge us, reveal to us the truth. And Father, today we tackle on a very important real-life thing, which is worry and anxiety. Thank you for revealing to us its source and ultimately pointing us to who can save us from it. And at the end of the day, Lord, that's still you. Forgive us for the times we try to still save ourselves or change things and control things that we cannot control of. We don't have control of. And Lord, we thank you that you showed us that you are trustworthy. You're worthy of our trust. And you are confident, we can be confident in you that you are capable to deliver us from our predicaments because you are sovereign and in control. And thank you for loving us enough to not only do this from afar, but you do this closely, intimately, as you build a relationship with us. So Lord, we pray that we can grow both in intimacy with you as well as confidence in you, Lord. And we pray, the Lord, that when we are having a hard time believing or when we are having a hard time trusting, may you grant us the grace to surrender and still trust in you. Bless us, Lord, with strength, with hope, with gospel perspective. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.